0: Ryan McGee, college football season. It's coming up just about a month away. For you, uh, how, how is
1: this, this period leading up to it? It feels like a, kind of a goodbye to the way it's been, mm-hmm. right? When we hit the middle of July and it's time to go to SEC media days, which goes on for four days. There's a level of excitement to it, but by the time you get to the end of four days, it's time to leave, right? It's time to go home. But it feels like everyone's kind of, it's not melancholy, but it's kind of like a farewell to the way it's been. I remember when we said farewell to the way it was in 1990,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now we're saying farewell to the way it is in 2023, and uh, we'll see what's next. What, what do you mean? I mean, this is the last year of the four-team college football playoff. This is the last year of divisions in the SEC and in and, and most other conferences. This is the last year that Texas and Oklahoma will play other teams in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, this is the last year that USC and UCLA uh, won't be traveling to Piscataway for volleyball games. <laughs> this is the last... <laughs> Year that we cut that the map kind of matters, right? And we have no idea what's next. What we do know is next is very, very different. And everything that follows behind that uh, will probably be, be even more different.
0: Well, I think we should start with the SEC, and we'll probably finish with the SEC as well, which is kind of the way that the college football season typically goes. Well, it since just means
1: the- more, Jeremy, in the SEC. <laughs> I'm not sure if you know that, but it does. had There was a neon sign literally outside of my workspace uh, the last four days in Nashville that said that. So since the college football playoff, Ryan,
0: was created, and that's now nine years ago, right, there have been 36 teams invited to the four-team playoff in those nine seasons. And 11 of those bids have gone to teams from the SEC. So not quite a third, but that's a lot. And and six out of the nine champions have been from the SEC. We talk about the SEC a lot on ESPN. And I think it's talked about everywhere else too. But when you look ahead, the way this whole thing is going to unfold, the SEC
1: 2023 football season, what do you see? I see... Probably the, the most uncertainty when it comes to the quarterback position from top to bottom, certainly at, at the brand name schools, which we, that's not something we've had to discuss in the last couple of years. I think we see perhaps the gap starting to close a little bit between Georgia, Alabama and everyone else. I'm not saying that the gap's not still there because I think it still is, but I think that gap has certainly narrowed a bit, and we're seeing the return of programs and teams that maybe we haven't heard from in a while. I mean, Tennessee is relevant again. Texas A&M, on paper, should be pretty good. LSU was in the SEC championship game a year ago, way ahead of schedule in the first year of Brian Kelly. There is a chance for more parity than we have had in this conference in a while. The reality is it's always been crazy competitive, but the end result has been the same. It's Georgia and Alabama going to Atlanta for the conference championship game, and let's see who goes to the playoff. And probably both will. And this year, um, we have a chance, maybe, to shake that up a little bit. At the very least, I think that the the story that gets us to Atlanta has a chance to be a really good one.
0: Is parody good?
1: Everyone loves a dynasty until they start complaining about having to watch the same games all the time. My mother grew up thinking that that the Dodgers and the Yankees were the only two teams allowed in the World Series. And, you know, on paper, that's funny. But the reality, too, is it means everyone else didn't have a chance. You and I both at heart are sports writers. And I'm all about chaos. And if you you give me chaos, even if the end result is the same, if we've got chaos in between, then, yeah, parity is the best way to get that.
0: The 2023 college football season starts in just about a month. And the conversation, as usual, begins and ends with the SEC. Because the SEC has dominated the game during the playoff era. The headlines all offseason and with the imminent addition of Texas at Oklahoma, the conversation around the future of college football. So today, fresh off SEC media days, Ryan McGee joins us. He'll explain what to watch for from top to bottom In the conference that towers over the college football landscape. I'm Jeremy Schaap. It's Monday, July 24th. This is ESPN Daily.
2: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Ryan, let's
0: start in Athens with the two-time defending champions, Georgia. It's been an off-season marked by tragedy that street racing crash back on January 15th involving the former Bulldogs defensive lineman, Jalen Carter. There were the deaths in that accident of Devin Willock, the linebacker, Chandler LaCroix, the recruiting staffer. Our colleague Paul Levine reported last month that since that crash, Georgia football players and their cars have been involved in at least 10 reports of traffic-related moving violations in Athens-Clarke County, Head coach Kirby Smart has been criticized for not seemingly cracking down on this kind of behavior in the way that some people think that he should. So what does all of this say about what's going on at Georgia now in the football program?
1: I think it says they are where so many programs have found themselves after ridiculous success, right? I mean, it's two-time Defending national champions, and it's really hard to keep your arms around and to keep an eye on everyone and everything when they feel like you know they can't lose, right? They feel like they can do whatever they want, and I'm not saying they feel like they do whatever they want. Let's all go rob a bunch of banks. But I think there's an indestructible feeling among kids. I mean, any professional athletes, any college athletes, when they're having success, the question is. What does Kirby Smart do now? And this is the one part of the job that he's not had to face. He's had to face recruiting. He's had to face trying to beat Alabama. He's had to face winning a national championship for the first time since Herschel Walker and then winning another one. He's done all these things. He's gotten Georgia over the hump with all of this, and he's done it with the Knicks Saban playbook. Now he has to figure out how to rein this in. And quite frankly, he did not handle it well at SEC Media Days in Nashville. He knew the questions were coming. And he, as the day went on, he was getting chippier and chippier and more and more defensive.
2: I'm also smart enough, Pat, to understand and know that 18 to 20-year-olds is when this happens. When it ha- it's when it happened to me as a student athlete. That's when speeding happens. What we want to do is take that out and make it safe and not have high speeds. If somebody's going to get a speeding ticket, it should not be a super speeder.
1: Meanwhile, his players...
2: Handled it extremely well. We have a responsibility to the guys that have come before us, whether it be successful businessmen or guys that are playing football, to protect the University of Georgia. And I think that's really the biggest thing is just understanding that we have a responsibility to the uni- university and some of the older guys really just speaking up about that.
1: And, and what they said was yeah, what we've done is our leadership group, and for folks that don't know, every college football team, every really, every college team has a core group of leaders that have been voted de facto captains of the team and they will have team meetings and they'll call it and say what are we doing and that leadership group with Georgia did that earlier this spring and so while Kirby Smart was kind of going from room to room to room in media days with his fist clenched his three players were "All right, this is what we're doing and they were very calm about it Kirby Smart tried to tell us that we don't have any more speed violations than we've had in the past with teams
2: it's very evident uh, when you look at it we've had traffic citations and incidents throughout the history of being at the University of Georgia. Um, And we actually don't have more now than we've had in the past. So what what concerns me most is the safety of our players.
1: The reality is, is that they have, and one involved, as you said, deaths. And so you have to rein that in. You can't just act like uh, it's not an issue. And uh, I think going forward, I think he may have learned Kirby Smart did, maybe learned a little something about that at media days. Why the defensiveness? Well, no one wants to be told how to do their job. And, you know, listen, Kirby Smart's the guy, and he and I have talked about this. I, I like to joke with him about it. He's the guy that, after Georgia finally won a national championship, threw his headset down and started yelling at the headset guy because he's just mm. – there's an intensity level to it. Now, he didn't do that later, and he's getting better at that now, and he's still relatively new at the job. Uh, that defensiveness can't continue because you just – physiologically, you can't sustain that. And that's what Nick Saban figured out. That's what Steve Spurrier figured out. That's what all the legends figured out eventually.
0: Is it the case, you think, Ryan, and I've seen this to the extent that I've covered college football, especially over the years, that the qualities you need to become a champion in the mold of a Nick Saban or a Kirby Smart are exactly the kind of qualities that make it hard for you to accept criticism and to build on it constructively rather than to get defensive and circle the wagons.
1: Yeah, and you spend your entire day, every single day, with everyone telling you how you should do your job. And when it comes to what defensive set you should be using, or when it comes to what quarterback you should have started, I think it's much easier for a coach to just roll his eyes like, oh, I appreciate it, man. You know, But when it starts becoming institutional, and when it starts becoming the way you go about your business every day and what your staff is doing. And one of the most interesting conversations that Marty Smith and I had, and we interviewed all all 14 coaches for our SEC Network specials that are run in the middle of August, was with Nick Saban about this. Mm. And what we threw to him was, he said, listen, Tennessee was just handed their their punishment from the NCAA. Pat Fitzgerald just lost his job at Northwestern. Georgia uh, has had these off-field issues. And, and what Nick Saban said was, he said, he talked about learning how to handle those things, but always being paranoid about it. Like when he learned of the Northwestern situation, he called in his leadership council and said, you tell me that none of this is happening here. And he knew that it was not happening there, but he needed to hear it from them. Because he said, that's the one thing that will keep him up at night, even after all these years and all these championships and at his age, which is, is there something I don't know about? And so you get defensive for two reasons. Number one, somebody's trying to tell you how to do your job, which no, no coach likes. And the other part is they might be right.
0: Let's talk about the bulldog schedule. So we could talk about all these other factors, but perhaps nothing is as determinative as schedule. And they're not playing Alabama. They're not playing LSU. They're not playing Texas A and M, so what does their path look like?
1: Well, uh, I like their chances against UT Martin and Ball State in weeks one and two. <laughs> um, I like their chances against UAB. Don't uh, overlook in, in Ball State. But I'll say this: UAB is not. That's not a, a, an entirely tough out. But but they're going to win that game. But they have challenges. But those challenges are spread out. They have South Carolina week three. South Carolina as we saw at the end of last season, can be really, really good. But they have that game at home. Uh, they go to Auburn relatively early versus what history always taught us about that game, the, the deep south oldest rivalry. But Hugh Freeze is there, and they have a lot of work to do. They have Kentucky, who's really tough, but that's at home. They, of course, have Florida. Uh, and we're not allowed to call it the um, – the world's largest outdoor cocktail party anymore, so we'll just call it the... Oh, is that true? Yeah, we'll call it the... Uh, we'll call it Earth's Biggest Alfresco Libation Soiree. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to call it now. <laughs> uh, but, but, but then... But they have all this, but they have them at home. And then the biggest challenge for them, honestly, on their schedule is Tennessee and they go to Tennessee but not until the next to last week of the regular season. Mm. So by then they'll have, you know, their answers. Who's going to play quarterback and all those things. So yeah, it's... If there was a a schedule built in the SEC for a team to catch its breath and fill some pretty big holes even as a defending two-time national champion, uh this schedule was a pretty good one to do that.
0: You mentioned Nick Saban. It's kind of hard to have a discussion for even a minute about the SEC without bringing up Nick Saban, but you know, it, it fascinates me, right? Just how quickly things change from Alabama being the king to being you know, secondary. So for Saban and the Crimson Tide, this moment in time, what is it like for them being where they are looking up at the Bulldogs?
1: Well, it's just funny, right? I mean, Nick Saban's forgot how to coach football. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've lost a the handle because they didn't make the playoff. They lost two games last year by a combined total of four points. I was at the Tennessee game; they should have won that football game. All due respect to my alma mater, they lost to LSU by one point in overtime.
2: Bama's got to get a stop, or their playoff hopes are over. Daniels for the
0: win! Caught! It's gone! LSU does it.
1: They were four points away from being in the college football playoff. Now, what we also know now that we didn't know then was Bryce Young was hurt all year. He wasn't even, in the middle of the season, he wasn't even practicing during the week. And they still almost won those two football games. So this idea of, this is, I think, the third time in Nick Saban's career where we've all written, well, you know what? The game is starting to pass him by. And and the other argument is, well, he's got two new coordinators. Mm. It it happens for him every year. And so I think he kind of digs it. Like, like Nick Saban, you go back and look at his six national championships, there are almost no undefeated seasons in there. He digs it when there's a loss during the season because he thinks it's a reset button. He thinks it's a wake-up call. Will Anderson's gone. To me, the best player in college football. They lost the, their quarterback, who now is with me here in Charlotte, Bryce Young with the Carolina Panthers. So you, you have the number one quarterback picked. You have the number one defensive player. They're both gone. That's okay uh, because – he knows that he can reload. And he loves it when we all say, well, you know what? what the dynasty's over. Um, because I can tell you right now, he, uh, he spends every waking moment, and that is no exaggeration, uh, figuring out how uh, he will beat Georgia in Atlanta the first weekend of December because he's very confident that he'll be there to do that.
0: Let's, let's talk about the quarterbacks. You mentioned Bryce Young being hurt last year. Nevertheless, you go from Hurts to Tungavailoa Mac Jones, Bryce Young, all of them franchise quarterbacks down the NFL. There is this recent history there, which is remarkable at the
1: position. What about twenty twenty three? The name you will hear initially uh, is Jalen Milroe, and if you're an Alabama fan, he stepped in last year, and and he won the Texas A&M game. He performed well in that game.
2: They're going to bring it on Milroe. And he got it complete on
1: the fly to Brooks, and he'll score. Touchdown, Alabama. But the name you're going to hear the most is Ty Simpson. Ty Simpson is a quarterback that came out of high school two years ago as a five-star, and he was the one that was recruited on all those other names you just mentioned. And he's the one that was recruited as the heir apparent to that. And so I believe that by the time the season really gets rolling, we probably will see Milrow in the beginning, but I believe Ty Simpson will be the guy if they're going to get, if they're going to, get to, to Atlanta in December.
0: After the break, the best of the rest in the SEC, starting with Tennessee.
2: Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Your
0: alma mater, you mentioned your alma mater on the upswing, the volunteers.
1: They were just fine. How much money was it, Ryan? It was uh, $8 million. And they didn't seem, that didn't seem to bother them very much. That's like a
0: Dan Snyder fine. Like, um, yeah, yeah. What did they do?
1: Well, what what they did was is that the coaching staff who is no longer there. Um, if you've seen the movie Blue Chips, that's what they did. Not only did they commit recruiting violations when it came to uh, improper benefits to recruits, they did it straight out of like uh, the, the the Blue Chips screenplay. Like it was like money in a McDonald's bag handed to the parents of kids. I'm not making that up. And it was more than 200 violations. And it went on for a couple of years. And it's the last great moment of Philip Fulmer's far from illustrious career as an athletic administrator. He was athletic director for that. Philip Fulmer was the head football coach. We all remember he won a national championship in 1998. That's great. But in the years that followed that, Tennessee had so many players arrested that the internet had the Fulmer Cup. Like that's what it was named for Philip Fulmer. And it was was a point system. Anybody who had arrests... The whoever had the most in the year was awarded the former cup. So that's what he did at the end of his coaching career. And then as an athletic administrator, he oversaw the Jeremy Pruitt era, which, oh, by the way, didn't win a lot of games, and also uh, committed these violations. The good news for Tennessee is the chancellor, Dondi Plowman, um, the athletic director, Danny White, and Josh Heupel, the current football coach, they were so aggressive and proactive with the NCAA, it was, they just opened the books. Do whatever you need to do. And they had some self-imposed penalties. And the big thing was to avoid a bowl ban. There was a potential of a postseason ban. So the money, an $8 million fine, that's just a get-out-of-jail-free card because they think they have a chance to make the college football playoff. And what they didn't want was a postseason ban. And uh, as long as they could avoid that, that was the goal, and that's what they did.
0: It's not just the money, though, right? It's also 28 scholarships. It is, but it's spread
1: out. Well, I talked to Josh Heifel about this past week, and and the X's and O's that aren't bad. And the reality is they've had some self-imposed scholarship restrictions over the last couple of years to try to get out ahead of what they knew was coming. And so they're already kind of used to it. And also, I mean, listen, in the age of, of name, image, and likeness, it's a lot easier to work around those scholarship restrictions, certainly, than it was in the world that you and I grew up in. I mean, here we are with NIL. My daughter and I are binge watching Friday Night Lights right now. That's what we're doing this summer. And and I'm explaining You don't to her, get
0: enough football no, the rest no. of your life.
1: Okay. But I'm I'm explaining to her, Buddy Garrity, for folks that don't know, he's the guy that owns the car dealership, still wears a state championship ring from back in the day. And, and talking about blue chips, JT Wallace played happy. And the coach, uh Nick Nolte, who essentially was playing Bobby Knight, you know, goes to to Happy and says, I need help. It was so scandalous, and it's just happy. And Buddy Garrity are kind of running things now. Right. And that's the world we're living in. And so you can have recruiting restrictions, but the reality is if Happy and and Buddy Garrity are running things through a collective, then chances are you can make up for that.
0: I mean, when you're talking about Tennessee and all those infractions and the $8 million fine and 28 scholarships lost and all that, it's like, but in this world the NIL world, if that's happening, you're really just not creative or imaginative enough because you don't have to anymore. Yeah. You can pay them anyway, which brings us to, you know, everybody's favorite SEC feud of the moment anyway. Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban. Where does it stand right now? The the Saban-Jimbo Fisher
1: relationship. All right, so let's go back. I'm going to take you inside baseball. I guess inside college football, we'll call it. And you go back to you know spring of 2022 and nick saban says to a group and claims that he he didn't believe anyone would would let it get out there he knew they would and he says that a and buying players i mean we were second in recruiting last year A M was first A M bought every player on their team made a deal for name image and likeness jimbo gets angry then they all show up at sec media days and everybody's still angry and we are told because the show that I co-host, Marty McGee, goes on the road every fall. We're told, you know what, we don't know what the schedule's going to be, but you can circle Alabama, Texas A&M, put it in Sharpie, we're going. And then we didn't go. And it's because A&M was awful. They couldn't get out of their own way on the football field. And so it kind of went away because A&M wasn't relevant when it came to actual football. and And it's proof, too, that even in the NIL era... buyer beware, I guess, is what Nick Saban would say. Yeah, that, well, that's just it. And, and, and in the NIL era, you can have as much money as you want. And Texas A&M has been the poster child for this for, for a century. You can have all the money that you want, all the resources that you want, all the talent in the state that you that you want. But if you don't know how to manage it correctly, mm. then it doesn't matter. And, uh, and so, yeah, A&M kind of... That all went away quicker than we wanted it to because A&M was bad at football last year. <laughs> Coaching feuds are always so much fun. It's the best. It's the
0: absolute best. So we've talked about Georgia and Alabama. We've talked about Tennessee. We kind of mentioned a and as well. But let's look around at the rest of the SEC. There are some schools out there with fairly important, prominent football programs
1: that we haven't mentioned yet, right? When we started talking and I mentioned parity, this is what I'm talking about. I think the best quarterback in the conference could be K.J. Jefferson, who's at Arkansas. And I think the second best quarterback in the conference is Will Rogers, and he's at Mississippi State. He just set a record, an NCAA record for completions last year. And then, oh, by the way, LSU crashed the party last year in Brian Kelly's first year, made the SEC championship game, assumed their, quarter, their quarterback, Jaden Daniels, was going to go to the pros. He's coming back has his entire offensive line back. So there is the potential for complete and total cast. Oh, and oh, by the way, Hugh Freeze is back at Auburn. And then Lane Kiffin is sitting down there in Oxford, Mississippi. So it's, again, we may end up with Alabama and and Georgia in the SEC title game for the umpteenth time, but the road to get us there is going to be far from boring because, I mean, I just went through all those names. And oh, by the way, all Kentucky football does now, is win nine games a year. Jeremy Shapp, you and I are the same age. Did you ever think we were living in a world where Kentucky football was you know, a nine, 10 win program per season? The answer is no. No, not
0: since Bear Bryant left and there was that banquet, right? With Adolph Rupp and yeah. gave Rupp the Cadillac. And what did they give Bryant? Was it a watch?
1: Yeah, I gave him a watch. And Bear Bryant said, Well, no, they'll never take football seriously here in That's left. right. Yeah, and now all Mark Stoops does is win ten games a year and play on New Year's Day, and it's uh, to me, it's one of the great miracles of the last half century in college football.
0: Well, you mentioned never boring, and I have to admit, I, I find Lane Kiffin endlessly fascinating. Yeah, interesting. The evolution of Lane Kiffin too, from almost this like uh, pro wrestling heel <laughs> into I I I don't know how to describe him now, but I find him kind of charming and funny. And uh what was going on though at Media Days, I, I saw some picture online. I might have it might have just been an unflattering uh freeze, but uh he looked somewhat disheveled.
1: And he wasn't. That was he that wasn't was, that was so, misleading. No, so so all right, so again, SEC Media Days, you kind of run this gauntlet of stops, right? Mm-hmm. And and Lane Kiffin's first stop was to the podium in the room full of writers. His second stop was with Marty and McGee. Was with myself and Marty Smith, and the entire interview, I was literally sitting there thinking, "Man, he looks great. He's lost weight. He's been doing. He's been doing hot yoga." He was uh-huh. telling us. He's sitting there. He's got his. He's got his tight blue suit on, and I was like, "Man," because I've literally i've I've known Lane Kiffin since we were kids. Hmm. I, I wrote this. In my New York Times worst-seller Sidelines and Bloodlines, a few years ago. Did you say we're a seller? You can't. Yeah. You so, can't say
0: we're a seller and like
1: <laughs> and, and do it sotto voce.
0: If you're gonna say it, you know, own it. And it, and it was it was great. Thank you.
1: So, but but Lane, Lane Kiffin's father, the legendary Monty Kiffin, you know, who invented the Tampa Two defense, was the head coach at North Carolina State. When I was a kid, my dad was an ACC referee, and he would work NC State scrimmages. And one day, my brother and I are playing like Nerf football with the coaches' kids on the hillside at NC State. And this one kid, the littlest kid, is calling DPIs and holding. And we're like, dude, we're just throwing the football. And finally, Monty <laughs> Kiffin runs over and he's blowing the whistle. And he goes, damn it, Lane, you're ruining my practice. And fast forward 20 plus years, my brother calls and he goes, did that little jerk from NC State just get the Raiders job? So, right. that's, so that's the Lane Kiffin I knew then. And I sat here and thought, man, he looks really good. Like he's, he's composed, he's, he's happy in life. And then meanwhile, what, what Marty and I didn't know was, and, and Lane didn't know it either, the internet was blowing up with this one screen grab where he looked like he'd slept underneath the stage that night and then walked up to the podium. It was just proof that the internet is cruel to us all, right?
0: I, I also wanted to ask about, you know, at Mississippi State, Kiffin's legendary counterpart, someone we, we both knew fairly well, Mike Leach, of course died um, in December of last year. How is Mississippi State, in the wake of Mike Leach's death, how
1: has it responded? They're still reeling. I mean, there's no question about it. But they are actively working to make sure, not that, that they don't want this to not bring him up all the time, right? Zach Arnett's the new head coach. Zach was handpicked by Leach to come in and be the defensive coordinator, which is defensive football was not Mike Leach's thing, and he needed someone to come in that he could trust to run that side of the building, so that Leach didn't have to get involved in it. and And he trusted uh, Zach, who's a relatively young guy. He's a mountain guy, right? I mean, he he's got played linebacker at New Mexico, and 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 I give. That staff, a lot of credit, and I give Zach Arnett a lot of credit because they are, instead of trying to get away from talking about Mike Leach all the time, they lean into it. And so that staff, for the most part, is completely intact. The quarterback, Will Rogers, who uh, set an NCAA record for completions last year, he can't go more than five minutes without bringing up Mike Leach. And I can tell you this, too, at SEC Media Days. Every single coach sat there... And shared a Mike Leach story. He will not have an ask. I don't believe they're good enough to win the SEC West, but I do believe they're good enough to ruin the season for a lot of really good football teams.
0: You mentioned at the top of this conversation that this is kind of the end of the SEC as we know it, because next year, Texas and Oklahoma are coming in. I'm old enough to remember when. Arkansas was not in the SEC and Texas A&M was not in the SEC. How is it going to change things having those massive programs with their massive followings? And I'm not just talking about your travel to Austin and to Norman. How is it going to change things?
1: One thing that Greg Sankey continues to remind, this is the commissioner of the Southeast Conference, is that as opposed to what we have seen in other conferences, and he's talking about the Big Ten with USC and UCLA, the SEC really only expanded its footprint by about 90 miles west. All these states still connect on the map. And so by way of that, Oklahoma and Texas should be able to just step in and fit. The reality is is that it's going to take a minute. And I don't know that the adjustment is going to be as steep for the conference as it is for those schools, particularly Texas. I mean, Jeremy, you know this. There's kind of an unwritten central headquarter team of each conference. The ACC has always run through Chapel Hill. The the SEC has always run through Tuscaloosa. It just always has. And the Big Ten has run through two towns, Columbus and, and Ann Arbor. Whatever conference that Texas has been in, whether it's the Southwest Conference or the Big 12, it's run through Austin. And that will no longer be the case. It's going to take a minute for, uh, and when I say minute, I'm talking about years, for Texas to get used to, yeah, they only have one vote like everyone else, but everywhere they've been before, they really had a much larger vote. And so that part's going to be weird. And, you know, I am really excited for my SEC-centric friends and family to go to Norman. That's an amazing place to watch college football game. And, and to go to Austin, which is one of America's great cities. But I'm excited for that part of it. But the it, but it is going to be weird.
0: But how are you and Marty going to keep doing all these shows, interviewing all the coaches? There are going to be 40 coaches someday.
1: Well, I don't know the answer to that. But all I, uh, my immediate selfish thought, Jeremy Shapp, is, man, I got to go home. I can't sit here. It's like The Shining. I can't get out of the hotel. I can't sit in the hotel for an entire week interviewing football coaches. And uh, that, I believe that's probably going to be my future.
0: Are you suggesting that Colorado might be moving to the SEC
1: when you bring up the Shining? That's actually a really good point. Now, I will say this. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be boring if we dropped some Coach Prime right into the middle of, uh, of all those guys I just interviewed. No, it would not be. Ryan, you're never
0: boring. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, Jeremy Shap.
0: I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.
2: Ooh. Uh...